How can you forgive me when I've often gone astray? How can you think of me when I do things my way? Turning my back from you, the one who loved me first. Renewing worldly thirst You told me you loved me And I should make up my mind You tell me come back now But I keep wasting time Feeling so very weak You say I can be strong I feel I've gone too far You tell me to come home You love me still And I know this is real And I am running back to you I see you're standing there for me to cry no more, you're standing there.
happy Sabbath to everyone, to our visitors. Uh, first of all, let me extend our gratitude uh, to those of our visitors who are watching us online at this time live. Thank you for joining us. And also to those of our radio uh, listeners on our KKVV 1060 AM dial. Of course, this is a rebroadcast. We thank you so much for joining us here at Abundant Life. We want to thank you also, all our visitors and our friends, uh, those who have prayed for our school, Abundant Life Christian Academy. We are indeed opening our doors on Monday morning, and we thank you for your prayers and all you have done for us. So at this time, as you have joined us in our worship service here at Abundant Life, we are still, in fact, located at 1720 North J Street, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89106. And certainly, please do call us at 702-647-2627. We would appreciate hearing from you, or you may also write to us. And if you'd like a copy of this program or any other, feel free to contact us. Our speaker today is none other than our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. He will be bringing us the message, but before he comes to us, we will hear from one of our youth here at Abundant Life, Sister Jaleesa Smith, who will be favoring us with a sacred selection. Right after she sings, you will hear our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock, Hear ye him. Ah! 
Thank you, Jalisa. That is sweet music, isn't it? We are praying for you as we are for uh, other young people who are leaving or who have left for their studies. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we know that there is a new day for mankind ahead and we pray that you will enclose us in the quiet place today that we might shut away from the cares of the world be impacted in a maximum way by the Holy Spirit in preparation for the better day to come we ask in Jesus name If you will please join me in a study today that is the kind that I enjoy and which I think the church needs to engage every once in a while, a real Bible study in the Word of God. How many of you brought your Bibles with you? May I see your Bible? You have your Bible? Good. All right. That's hundreds of Bibles, and that means that we're going to read along together. I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. To the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. 
And I'm going to begin to read at verse 1. The title of the message today is Better Than the Best. Better Than the Best. And we read Hebrews 6 verse 1, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, and I'm reading from the New King James, one of my favorite versions, let us go down, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Now, the entire Bible is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And in the truest sense, the Word of God is history, his story. But I know of no other book in the Bible better crafted than this one here in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, to summarize Jesus' love and to more sharply portray for us how the service of Christ supersedes and is superior to all other systems and services and persons and procedures and practices in the world or even in the universe. And the book of Hebrews does this in a very interesting way or from a very interesting standpoint. As we have read, the apostle Paul is here speaking to his hearers or writing to his hearers regarding their being faithful in the faith faithful in the church, not looking for something better, but faithful. And he says, don't fall away. Watch out, because if you do, you, you can lose your way and you might not get back. And some even wound the Holy Ghost and don't come back. So don't look for something better. Right here is where it is. And scholars tell us that the reason he did this in the book or the letter to the Hebrews is that he was concerned because many of the Jews who had converted to Christianity were falling back. Many of the Jews who had left Judaism and become Christians were being disrespected, disowned by fellow Jews and so their faith was getting weak. And the whole book of Hebrews is written to these new believers to try to establish them in the faith. That's what the book of Hebrews is really all about. And Paul very methodically and very practically, in very practical ways, says 
Don't go back. Hang on. Go on to perfection, Hebrews 6, verse 1, and then applies in a number of ways comparisons to prove to his readers then and to you and me today that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is really something better and that he is not only better than any other alternative that we Christians can see or think about, but he is better than all the rest. He's better than the very blessed. He is better than the best. And he proves it in the following ways. First of all, in the very beginning of the book, look now and study with me Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, speaking of Jesus, this precious something better, who being the brightness of his glory, his being God, the Father's glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the what, everybody? Than the angels, as he has inheritance, by inheritance obtained, a more excellent name than they. And so Paul begins his practical proof and comparison by saying, don't you go any other place because, listen, Jesus who has been preached unto you, the Christ who you have accepted, he is better than the best. He is, in fact, greater than the angels. And that's really saying something, isn't it? Because you see, angels are able to transcend order. They are transorder. In other words, they can change beings. Angels can be spirit or flesh. Angels can be visible or invisible. Angels can be flaming creatures with fiery swords as those who closed down the Garden of Eden. Or angels can be ordinary human beings who sit and eat at your table as they did in the book of Genesis and other places with Lot and others. Angels can look like stars as they did when they sang on the eve of Christ's nativity. Or angels can be wheels, fiery wheels on Daniel's chariot as he saw in his vision in chapter 7 and on in his book. And number two, angels can transcend material and substance. They are transmaterial, to coin a phrase. Angels can go through walls and doors without a noise or a commotion. Angels can walk through steel gates and unlock and loose the prisoners as they did with Paul and Silas. 
Angels can shut the lion's mouths and walk through fire. Angels can roll away the boulders as if they were pebbles flicking them away. And angels are also transpatial, meaning angels can function at every level of space known to humans. They move freely in Earth's atmosphere. That is the immediate space around the world, the immediate covering of the Earth, consisting of the stratosphere, which extends 31 miles high, and the mesosphere, which goes from there to 51 miles high. And then the what the scientists call the ionosphere, which extends from 51 to 300 miles up into space. Angels can function in that atmosphere. The first heaven, we call it, where the birds fly and our planes go and where the rockets are shot. But angels can go beyond that into the second heaven or out of space without any problem. They are not affected by the changes of temperature or the, the, the atmospheric variations, the, the aeons and the, the atoms that would affect and shut down any other human or any other creature. Angels can transcend into outer space into the second heavens. And more than that, angels go into the third heaven, as Paul called it in 2 Corinthians 12, into glory itself where God is. Angels transcend all levels of space. And angels are super powerful. One angel, Isaiah 37, killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. One angel. And angels are super swift. Not only super powerful, but super fast. Angels are faster than light. Their speed is demonstrated very graphically in Daniel's prayer, for instance. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 4 to 21. Refresh yourself by turning there, if you will. The book of Daniel, chapter 9. And you'll remember that here... Daniel was praying. In verse 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O God, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him, with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. And he goes on to pray. And this prayer that concludes in verse 21 Daniel 4, Daniel 9, verses 4 to 21. This prayer takes about three minutes to read. About three minutes to read. And before Daniel finishes praying that three-minute prayer, there's an angel, Gabriel, who is already there to answer his prayer. Verse 21, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I'd seen in the vision at the beginning, he'd seen Gabriel in his vision when he started his prayer, and now as he concludes in verse 21, 
He says he was commissioned and he was caused to fly how everybody? Swiftly and reach me about the time of the evening offering. Now that's fast. That's fast because light travels at the rate of 183,000 miles per second. And we don't know the mileage to heaven, but we know it's beyond the sun. And the sun is 93 million miles away. And it takes light traveling at 183,000 miles per second, approximately eight and a half minutes to get to earth from the sun. But Gabriel started somewhere beyond the sun and got here in three minutes. Now that's fast. In other words, Gabriel was traveling about three times the speed of light. Angels are swift. Angels are glorious. Angels are mighty. Angels are powerful. Angels are fast. Angels are the greatest and the best of all created beings. But Jesus is greater than the angels. He is better than the best. Angels can move mountains, but they can't make mountains. Angels can empty oceans, but they can't fill the oceans. Jesus is more glorious and more powerful and more mighty. And that's what Paul was trying to say. He is better than the best. And then look again in this book of Hebrews, this time to chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, and pick up with me another important comparison that our author makes. I'm reading now in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 and listen to the word. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house was more, has more honor than the house. The second comparison that Paul makes as he seeks to impress these weakened and failing converts seeking to hold them into Christianity, their newfound faith, the second comparison that he makes is that of the high priest, and he addresses them by saying that Moses was in fact the greatest of all humans. He had his great and his glorious place in the work and the scheme of God, but Jesus is greater than even wonderful, high, and celebrated Moses. Now, you've got to remember that as he moves from the high priest to Moses quickly there in one verse, we have to compare Moses to Abraham, and the Jews felt Moses was greater than he. We compare Moses to Noah, and they would tell you Moses was greater than Noah, greater than David, greater than Solomon. There was nobody in the Jewish economy like Moses. Why? 
It was Moses who led them out of Egypt, Moses who divided the Red Sea, Moses who directed their victories over enemies and elements, Moses who talked to God in the mountain, Moses who handed down the Ten Commandments, Moses who supervised the building of the sanctuary, Moses who wrote all those laws of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, Moses who set up the brazen serpent to save them when they had been plagued with venomous and evil snakes, and Moses who prayed down manna for 40 years. He was as good as they come, but Paul says Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than the best. It is true that Moses is described in our scripture and in Exodus 2 verse 2 as a goodly or proper or beautiful child. But Jesus is described in Luke 2:52 as a holy child. It is true that the human Moses grew up strong amidst the splendor of Egypt. But the human Jesus grew up clean in the middle of filthy Nazareth. It is true that the human Moses transitioned the people from slavery in Egypt to freedom in Canaan. But it is also true that the human Jesus has brought our race from the slavery and damnation of sin to freedom and happiness and eternity in salvation. The human Moses lost his temper and slew a man. The human Jesus held his peace and healed the multitude and forgave his enemies. The human Moses lost his patience and smote the rock not once but twice. The human Jesus never lost control and he was smitten on Calvary once and for all for our redemption. The human Moses turned his back on splendor in Egypt, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt for a season. And the human Jesus refused the offerings of Satan in the wilderness. Satan who offered him a shortcut. Satan who said, I'll give it to you now and you don't have to go through all that you will if you continue on the route you've chosen. The human Jesus who turned his back on all those offerings went to Calvary carrying our griefs, our sorrows, and our sins and chose to suffer and to die rather than to enjoy the splendors of heaven and even the comforts of earth. The human Moses was a great leader and a friend of God, but he sinned and lost his chance to go into Canaan. The human Jesus was perfect, absolutely perfect. He never sinned and earned the right to die a perfect sacrifice and thus opened the heavenly gates of Canaan for you and me. The human Moses died at age 120 and, according to Jude verse 9, was resurrected by Christ. The human Jesus also died, but he wasn't resurrected by another. He resurrected himself. He is a greater than Moses because in his resting flesh, 
were dormant, but there the properties of life, and on time, as he prophesied, something triggered in the nervous system of his brain that told his heart to beat, and his blood began to flow out to his extremities, and Jesus, awakened by his own power, I like Moses. He's a statesman, and a soldier, and a scholar, and an administrator, and a prophet. He is the greatest human being, I think we can safely say, in terms of education, and achievement, and administration, and leadership that the world has ever seen except one. And Paul is right. Jesus is better than the best. And then in chapter 4, he continues this, this comparison that makes Christ stand out as better than the blessed and better than the best. Hebrews 4 verses 14 and 15, seeing then we have a great high priest, and now he begins to concentrate there, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the what, everybody? Throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in need. And so Paul says, this Jesus is better than the best, better than the angels. He's better than Moses. And now he says, he's better than the best of all the high priests who ever lived. Now you must remember that the high priest was the highest official in the ecclesiastical hierarchy in Israel. The priesthood itself was pivotal, was critical to their economy, to their welfare. It was the priest who killed the lambs. It was the priest who wrote the laws. It was the priest who pronounced the leper unclean. And if by a miracle the leper recovered, he had to go to the priest and be pronounced clean again. The priest even led the troops in battle, was out there with the soldiers to pray and to lead and to help hold up the banners. But the high priest, who led all the other priests, the common priests, was extra special. The high priest told the others what to do, and in addition to that, the high priest told the people what to do. The high priest had on a breastplate with the names of the children of Israel. And on the corner of that breastplate, there was an ephod in which he had the Urim and the Thummim, two stones that were lighted or lit by the presence of God to direct the people of Israel. And when the high priest prayed and asked for direction and God wanted him to go in a positive way, one of the stones would light. And if not the other, God spoke to the priest very directly, and it was the priest who talked to God for the people. It was the high priest who went in once a year on the Day of Atonement all by himself before the ark and ministered where nobody else 
could go. He not only talked to God for the people, he talked to the people for God. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in heaven today. He is our high priest. He went to the third heaven upon his resurrection. And since he ascended after his resurrection, he has been serving as our high priest before the Father, pleading the case of the human race. But before he could become our high priest, he had to understand us. Because you see, every priest is chosen from among the people. So Jesus simply couldn't come down and be a priest. He had to be born of a woman. He had to be issued from the flesh. And he had to become acquainted with our situation. He could not tell God about us unless he knew us. He could not be credible with God unless he had our experience. And so he came into this world and he fought the battle in human flesh. He was God inside of humanity and he healed as God, but he lived his everyday life confronting sin and temptation and the circumstances of the world with the powers of humanity. And so he ate our food. He drank our water. He slept in our beds. He walked our streets. He breathed our air. And he suffered our afflictions. And then, having become thoroughly acquainted with our ways and who we are and what temptation is all about, he went back to the Father to tell the Father, Father all about us. And Paul says, he's a better high priest. Some people ask, well, how could he tell the Father all about me when he was born with Adam's spiritual powers. And if you want to learn more about this, come to prayer meeting. That's what this prayer meeting book is all about. Amen. Talking about Jesus and how he was born and what he was like. Some people say, well, how could Jesus really tell the Father about me? He was born from Mary's womb without a father. The Holy Ghost planted this embryo, and that's a mystery we'll never understand. And you've heard me say it before, but let me say it again. If you try to understand it, you lose your mind. And if you don't believe it, you lose your soul. But he was born of Mary. And he was born into this world with the human equipment of the generation in which he lived. He could be hurt. He could be pinched. He could bleed, he cried, he got hungry, he got thirsty, his feet got blisters. He was human. He fought the battle in human equipment. But he had Adam's spiritual equipment. Now what does that mean? It means that Jesus, even though he had the physical flesh of his era, his generation, 
had Adam's spiritual innocence before Adam fell. Jesus didn't come into the world as Psalm 51.5 says, all of us do, born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Adam did not come into this world born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Adam came into this world pure and innocent with no desires to sin. Adam had no urges to evil. Adam didn't want to eat too much or get angry or get jealousy. Jealous. Adam had no evil urges, no evil tendencies. He was perfect. He fell and left his perfect condition and contaminated the human race and all of us are born contaminated since then. And we will stay contaminated until Jesus comes a call and this mortal shall put on immortality and this corruptible shall put on incorruption. Until then, we're all sinners saved by grace and we're all sinners even when we're sleeping. Because we have the germs of evil in our system. But Jesus was born spiritually like Adam before he fell. He did not come into this world to be another you or another me. Jesus didn't come in here to be another Lewars or another McDavid. He came to be another Adam. And he started in Nazareth with Adam's equipment Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, but Jesus succeeded in the same equipment Adam had. Jesus succeeded in wicked Nazareth. So that those people who doubt that he can represent me and you should know that he can represent us because he had all of our temptations. As we have read, he suffered all of our temptations. We do not have a high priest who cannot tell God what it's like. But he didn't sin. Adam sinned, some people say. That's right. He didn't sin, but a prophet tells us in one place that the, the, the urges to sin, when, when he was even in the wilderness, and it wouldn't have been a sin had he eaten, it wouldn't have been a sin. It would have been unfortunate if he'd given up. And, and, but he, the urges to, 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 to satisfy his cravings, and I better be careful, maybe it would have been a sin if he had followed Satan's advice. But what I mean is it wouldn't have been a sin if he had given up and found that it was too much and gone back and let this world blow away. That, 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 that would have been within his providence. But he felt those urges. He, he was so hungry after 40 days of fasting that the cravings that he had to eat those rolls that Satan had made out of the rocks in the desert, the, 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 the rolls with the butter and honey that Satan put out there, the, 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 the biscuits and gravy that Satan laid out, he felt his saliva glands rising for satisfaction and he was so hungry and so desperate for food that he had 
the same craving that the drug addict has or that the alcoholic has or that the smoker has when they are tempted to give in. Those urges were so powerful that he could go back to heaven and say, Father, I know what it's like. No, he didn't smoke, he didn't drink, he didn't commit adultery, he didn't do any of those bad things, but he felt in his humanity the cravings to satisfy the legal and lawful lust of the flesh with such intensity that now as our high priest, he can go back to glory and say, Father, I know what it's all about. I know what she's going through. I know she was abused when she was a child. I know that he was abused when he was a boy. I know his anger. I know her problems. I know his trauma. And Father, I'm here and I want to speak to you for them because I've been in their moccasins. I know what it's all about. And Paul says, he is our better high priest for it. He is our better high priest. He is our better high priest because of the covenant that he administers, not only because of his knowledge of our need, but because of the covenant that he ministers. Hebrews 8 verse 6, he is minister of a better covenant. You see, the early covenant was faulty because you know why? When they, when they made that deal and the high priest had to administer the covenant, the people heard Moses read. You know, I've, I've got to read that with you. I've got to read that with you. You, you. you want to read this. You've seen it, but look over in the book of Exodus this time. Look at Exodus and look at chapter uh, 19 and uh, verse 8. Exodus chapter 19 verse 8. And notice what the word says. So Moses, verse 7, came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said what? All thou sayest, who will do? We will do. They, and, and I suppose they meant it because they were, they were listening carefully. But more than that, they said amen over and over again. Look at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 27. Look at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 27. And notice something here, beginning at verse uh, 15, where he is speaking. Moses says, Cursed is the one who makes abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up. He's given him all this instruction, sets it up in secret. And all the people answer him and say what? Amen. Now look. And verse 16, cursed is the one who treats his father and his mother with contempt. And all the people shall say what? Amen. So they just say amen people. You hear them? <laughs> yeah. Look at verse 17. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. And all the people said? Amen. Just amen, amen, amen. Verse 18, cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road. And all the people shall say? Verse 19, cursed is the one who perverts justice, do the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he's uncovered his father's bed, and all the people shall say, and you can read the rest of it when you go home. Just amen, 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 we will do what you say, God, amen. But you know what? They didn't. 
They fell off the wagon again and again and again. But Jesus is our better high priest because the agreement that he has now is not our amen and what we say we will do. The agreement that is sealing the deal now is the righteousness that he has earned from his life on earth and he's not bringing to the Father your amen and my amen. He's taking to the Father his life that he lived on the earth and he says, Father, you promised this, now this is their agreement and it's my life which I have lived that I offer for them. And so Paul says, he is a better high priest. And he's a better high priest, Hebrews chapter 9, not only because he understands and knows exactly where we are and how we do and how we suffer and how we're tempted, and because he is offering his life rather than our good deeds as the human part of the bargain. He's also a better high priest according to Hebrews 9, 11, but Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and cows, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus is our better high priest because of the quality of the blood that he offers. The other high priests had to go in every day and once a year with the blood of goats and bulls and turtle doves. But Jesus goes before the Father with his own blood and you can't get any better than that. Amen. You can't get better than the blood of the innocent Lamb of God. He is a better high priest than Aaron. He is a better high priest than Melchizedek. He's a better high priest than any who ever lived. He is better than the rest. He is better than the blessed. He is better than the best. Now, what does all this mean to you and me today? Well, there are several things that we have to keep in mind because this is not just a pretty story and a wonderful revelation about who Jesus is and how much better he is than everything and everybody else. There is meaning for you and for me. And Paul mentions it. Look first of all in Hebrews chapter 6, and I want you to read with me verse 18 and 19. That by two immutable things, and I'm glad to hear those pages turning, it, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the H-O-P-E. What does that spell? This hope, verse 19, we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, behind the veil. Number one, the fact that Jesus is better than the best gives me hope. You know, we're all born into this world with no decision of our own. Nobody asks to be born. We're all born here because of somebody else's deeds. And we all know that we're going to die. Did you know you're going to die? The living know that they shall die. Now, we want the Lord to come before death. 
But they've been wanting that for 2,000 years now. So don't you be too sure. All right? I want to dampen your hope. We hope the Lord comes before we die. But they've been hoping that for 2,000 years. So don't you bank on it. Because you don't know when he's coming. He could come tomorrow, tonight, next week. We hope. But we don't know. And what we do know is that if he doesn't show up pretty soon, we all got to die. And some of us got to die sooner than the rest of you. That's because the good Lord has let us live. But we're all headed for the grave. And the essence of religion is, where do I go when I die? What is this life all about? Is that all that there is? Being born of a woman and growing up young and strong and tall and beautiful and going to school and having a job and getting married or not and having a family or not and finally getting old and finally going down to the grave succeeded by another generation lies wave after wave of generations wash upon the shores of time. Is that all there is? The answer is no. There is hope. There is hope for something better after the grave. And in fact, Paul makes sure that that is not forgotten either. In Hebrews 11, verse 35, he says, Women received dead, their dead to life again. Others were tormented, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. So you and I can look forward to something better, better than the best. The best that they have today. The best. Your condo, your house on the lake with your yacht at the regatta, with your beautiful furniture and your several cars and, and all the, that appertains to your affluence. God says, there is something better that I have for you. There's something better on the other side because no matter how rich or how smart or how wealthy or world-traveled you are, finally we all go down to the grave and it's all over. But God has promised through Jesus, our high priest, our better Moses, he who is better than the angels, he's promised us hope. We have hope. Some people say, well, how come you Christians still hope so much? You've been hoping for 2,000 years. You've been hoping all this time, and he still hasn't come. You're just dreaming. Well, I answer, if I'm dreaming, let me dream on. Just let me dream on. If this work of this Jesus is a dream, I thank God for the dream, because this dream has cleaned up my life. It's purged me from sin and destruction. This green dream has cleaned out my refrigerator, and it's added years to my life. And I just love it when people ask me how old I am. Yeah. Then they open their eyes and say, what? So let it be. I'm happy for this dream. I'm happy that I can see on my knees more than the philosopher can see on his tiptoes. Because I have the Holy Spirit that's interpreting Scripture. And I tell those who ask me when they say you're hoping endlessly that I'd rather live uh, with an endless hope than to die with a hopeless end. And I like the way Paul has phrased it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16, where he talks about the end. 
where he tells about the fact that one day our high priest is going to lay down his priestly scepter. He's going to take off his priestly robes and he's going to come again. And when he comes again, he is going to call forth the sleeping saints. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, The dead in Christ shall what? Shall rise first. That's the hope. That's the hope we have in Jesus. The hope of eternal life. The hope that one day he will come and he will give his children their eternal rewards. And it's all because of Jesus. No, the Jews could not go back into Judaism. And neither should we Christians fall out into anything else. We've got to hang on. We've got to hang tight. We can't turn around. We can't drop out. We can't let anybody cause us to lose our crown. We have a high priest who's working for us in glory. And one day, according to Paul's promise, the dead in Christ, well, let's read it. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. I've got some precious friends and relatives I expect to be in that number. And this is the hope that we have. The Word of God asks, is there anything worse than not having hope? If we don't have hope, we have all men most miserable. But Jesus is our hope. He's better than the best, better than the blessed. He is our righteous hope. And when He comes, the Word says, we who are alive and remain, and I pray that is us, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I want to see that high priest. How about you? I want to see my Redeemer. And the Word says He's going to get His people and they'll be caught up. Notice, caught up. Not beaten up, burned up, broken up, bombed up, bashed up as when we go in the grave. Caught up not cut up and crippled up and curled up with old age caught up not mashed up and melted up and and mugged up he's going to have us caught up not tangled up and torn up and trashed up and twisted up his people will be caught up not smashed up and snarled up and shot up and shriveled up with age they will be caught up to meet him in the sky to meet him in the air and our high priest who has saved us by his blood and by his life Romans 5:10 will meet his people and there will be a great rejoicing it will be because his life has been something better his ministry something better his services better than the rest more glorious than the blessed. He is better than all or anybody in the universe and all of it put together. If you put every rich man, woman, every talented, every scholar, every administrator, every president, every premier, every general, every scientist, put them all together in one pot, Jesus would still be better than the best. His righteousness is better than Adam's. His righteousness is better than yours. 
The best you do cannot save you. His righteousness is better than your best. And it's better than my best. When he comes, he's going to give us something that's better than we can imagine. Paul says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart or the mind of human beings what God has prepared. Folk is better than the best. We have to keep our minds stayed and focused on that goal and on that privilege. And by God's grace, our performance must be better than it's been. We just can't dream and talk about it because the Word of God says, everyone that hath this hope doth what? Purifieth himself. Our Father in heaven, we recognize our need today. We need more study. We need less television. We need less frivolity. We need more sober attention to your word. And I pray that our lesson today might stimulate us to study more about the beauty of Jesus' contribution to our salvation. 